0: The True Crime Society podcast contains adult themes and violence and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. up guys welcome to another episode of true crime society podcast with stephanie and olivia it is december 1st right now it is officially the holiday season the end of the year we're here we've made it's crazy looking back i feel like the pandemic like was just yesterday but like also it like feels slow but fast it's crazy like it's been two years
1: since the start of the pan- pandemic it's it's just crazy where's all the time gone Where's has it even been three years i don't even
0: know yeah nearly three years i guess going on three years yeah but also because that's how long we've been doing the podcast
1: yeah true true
0: i'm like we've really been doing it for that long Uh, time flies when everything's going wrong (laughs) and i'm not rich yet (laughs) Uh, uh, just kidding but i'm really not rich (laughs) um so how how was your weekend any big things coming up for you It's actually my daughter's 11th birthday party tomorrow.
1: So we've ordered these people to bring in like tents they can sleep in, like indoor little tents set up and they – so there's a thing here. I don't know if you guys have something similar there called Karen's Diner. It's like a chain of diner restaurants where you go and everyone there is a Karen. Really? <laughs>
2: so no. They're
1: they're really rude. Like all the waiters and serving stuff and things are really rude to you. And that's so um, funny. So like it's it's like they they throw the food like not actually throw it in your face, but they'll like slam it on the table and stuff. And like I've seen some videos where they'll say things like someone ordered a vanilla milkshake and they're like, of course you would order the most boring drink on the menu
2: and working there's
1: probably so fun (laughs) stuff like that so taking them there to karen's diner and then we're going to an ice skating disco Mm. (laughs) so that'll be fun she's excited um should be yeah should be good fun i'm gonna go and pick up the cake and all the decorations and things today and get organized so yeah pretty pretty exciting for her can't believe
0: that she's already 11 nelly i know i'm i I mean i haven't known you that long but even just when we started being friends and you sent me pictures of them and they were so little (laughs) and they had their cute little poses
1: oh no she's got one more year of primary school
0: left before high school it's crazy time really does fly (laughs) speaking of um cakes actually you just reminded me i um tomorrow's me and mike's seven year anniversary last anniversary legally single <laughs> but of course I'll use anything as an excuse to order a cheesecake from this like fancy grocery store down the road for me so of course I was like oh, sh- we should get a cake and he was like yeah I-, I guess and I was
2: like okay I'm ordering it right now
0: I feel like you sent me photos of that cake
1: before right? I have yeah it's my favorite <laughs> yum that sounds good I've actually ordered her a caramel cake do you I don't know if you guys have caramel there uh it's like a type of chocolate yeah probably it's Cadbury so I I feel like Cadbury's not as big there maybe
0: I don't
1: know anyway it's like a white caramelized chocolate
0: oh that's so that's yeah that's what kind of cake she's having uh delish I freaking love desserts (laughs) and cake I've actually still been um we also didn't really talk about our thanksgivings because we double recorded but for thanksgiving this was the first year I started liking sweet potatoes in my life. Oh, yum. Yeah. So I could finally have, I, I don't know if you guys like have it in Australia, but it's like a sweet potato casserole with the toasted marshmallows on no, top. No, we definitely, definitely don't have that here. I've <laughs> seen it, like, I know what it is because I've seen it on all of Thanksgiving stuff. Yeah, but, yeah we big definitely don't on. have that here. But I used to never have it because I'd be like, ew, gross. I hate sweet potatoes. And I'd like pick <laughs> off a marshmallow. This is my first year having it. And it was so good. I've been dreaming about when I can have it next. <laughs> What's been happening with you? Well, besides that, um, I went to Vermont the weekend after Thanksgiving, posted about my unfulfilling life, which which all my my internet friends love. But I went on the ferry across Lake Champlain and it was so scary. I didn't know what was happening. I just put in my GPS to go home from Burlington and it was like driving me along and it was like, surprise, you're going on the ferry. And I was like, what? I was like, I did not sign up to go on in my car on a boat across a lake. It always blows my mind. Like I've done one of those in Tasmania before and
1: it's so crazy. Like you just drive your car on the boat. <laughs> it's yeah. It's crazy.
0: I was horrified. I ha- I was driving and I made Mike switch with me because I was like, I'm not about to drive this car onto a boat and fuck this up somehow and ruin it for everyone. But we did it. And I mean, obviously I've never done it before. It was windy and rainy that day, so I don't know if it made it worse, but other people have since told me that it is choppy. The boat was rocking so much. I was—I don't really get seasick, but I was just looking up. While I was in the middle of Lake Champlain on this boat, I was like, ferry accidents. How often do ferry accidents happen? Are ferries safe?
1: Am I going to die on this Has ferry? Has this ferry ever crashed before?
0: <laughs> yeah. Like, I was so nervous because it was rocking so much. And I just didn't know if it was normal. So I'm like, is this is this bad? Is this it? Mm. But I made it through, clearly. <laughs> Thankfully for us. Yeah. Glad to be here to do another podcast episode for everyone. <laughs> You made it through, <laughs> yeah. Um, anything else? I think that's so. I, really I have actually
1: got. I haven't even told you about this, but I actually got a message on um Instagram yesterday because the Spotify Wrapped 2022 mm. have come out. So we've had so many nice messages from people, but one of the messages I had yesterday was from someone who had listened to I think like eleven thousand minutes of our podcast, which blows my mind. But we just got chatting a little bit anyway, she. <laughs> it's a funny small world story. She was telling me that her parents. She's Australian. Her parents have an echidna and she's like, I always wondered if it looks like Elmo. Anyway, then it turns out her parents are literally my neighbours, like (gasps) a few streets across. I'm like, oh my God, maybe it is Elmo.
0: It had to literally be (laughs) Elmo.
1: And it's funny because she was saying that her parents have lived there for 30 years and they've never seen an echidna in the whole time either. And that's what the same lady on our street said. She said that she's lived here for 30 years and has never seen them. So I don't know. It has to be the same same (laughs) one. He's still around or if it's not, maybe it's his little brother or whatever I don't know anyway it's very sweet that's I so could not believe it when we got chatting and actually realized that it was the same yes live right
0: near me so that's so <laughs> anyway, funny funny little story I know people are always like trying to figure out not figure out where I live but sometimes I'll say something and then people who live kind of near here are like oh I live near that too and I'm like torn between being like oh well I live here and like what if they murder me. (laughs) I know I know like (laughs) I know I get what you're saying. (laughs) Yeah Uh, that's crazy though. (laughs) So today we're going to talk about the Idaho murders and the latest Delphi update and I printed out the Delphi probable cause that was released so I have it sitting here next to me and of course Peep is sitting right on it warming it up for us getting her thoughts ready so Hopefully she's ready to give some good commentary. I'll post a picture of her of her sitting on it because she really – she fucking <laughs> loves paper. I don't know why. Another thing, I guess, <laughs> while we're talking about Peep, it was so funny because I did this live stream with um, Alexis McAdams. She's a reporter for Fox, but we've known her a while through the Delphi case and – we did the Instagram live and she was going through the comments and I could, just couldn't get it to really like open on my phone. And she was going through and people were like being like, where's peep show us peep. And she was like, who's peep. And I was like, Oh my God, that's my cat. <laughs> like Everyone wants to see my cat.
1: <laughs> there were so many so messages like, Oh, I'm so. Someone said they ran to see what, what they, what the cat
0: looked like. <laughs> yeah. So I lifted her up like the lion King for everyone to see. Right. Oh, she gave a little meow. Okay. All right, so let's get into it now.
2: Developing overnight a shift in the
3: investigation into the mor- murders of four Idaho college students. Yeah, this case is just mind-blowing. A Prosecutor's office initially saying that the four friends were, quote, undoubtedly targeted, but this morning police are reversing course. Right now the University of Idaho is on edge after that emotional vigil. Look at that, all the lights honoring those four victims. News Nation senior correspondent Brian Inton joining us live from Idaho this morning. Brian, you were at the vigil Uh, Last night, you've been on the ground for days talking to all kinds of folks, investigators, students, and school staff. What do you have for us?
4: Yeah, uh, Adrian, it it really hit home at the vigil. You know, we've been focused so much on the investigation, but last night you just saw the pain in people's faces, uh, and the families were there, and they spoke, and you heard what they were going through, losing uh, beautiful young people who had such bright futures ahead of them. And And then this continued nightmare that this that this community and these families are living because this killer is still on the run. Parents sharing what they know of their last child's moments, Maddie Mogan and Kaylee Gonzalez, inseparable since middle school.
2: So then they went to high school together. Then they started looking at colleges. They came here together. They eventually get into the same apartment together. And in the end, they died together in the same room in the same bed.
4: DESPITE THEIR GRIEF, LOVED ONES OF THE MURDERED STUDENTS STILL SHARED HOPEFUL MESSAGES. I THINK ALL THE PEOPLE WORKING ON TRYING TO FIGURE THIS OUT and uh, it REALLY MEANS A LOT. THIS HAS CONFLICTING REPORTS ARE RELEASED AMONG TOP OFFICIALS. POLICE SHARING EARLY ON IN THE INVESTIGATION THAT THE ATTACK WAS TARGETED BUT THEY'VE NOT SHARED WHY THEY BELIEVE THAT TO BE THE CASE. EVEN FURTHER, THE MOSCOW POLICE DEPARTMENT HAS NOW PUBLICLY CORRECTED INFORMATION GIVEN BY THE PROSECUTOR'S OFFICE who had stated that the suspect had specifically targeted the home and one or more of the students inside. Detectives now clarifying they do not know if the residents or any of the victims were specifically targeted.
1: So I've heard this case kind of referred to as one that's apparently not getting a lot of media attention, but I feel like, I don't know. I don't like Yeah, yeah. Like on, is it the Cuomo? Is that how you say Cuomo?
0: Chris Cuomo? Yeah.
1: Yeah. On his show, he's like, I think there's a clip on our that I've saved in our highlights. He's like, "This case isn't getting a lot of attention, but that doesn't matter here." I'm like, "What? Wow! I really, really thought it Literally, was
0: getting tons." Every single one of my family members on Thanksgiving asked me about it, and they're not like you know people who are like reading about crimes every day like me. They're like, "What do you think about the Idaho case?" Like, even I was at the
1: gym the other day, and one of my one of the girls I go, she came up to me, she's like, "So what's what's news?" Yeah, what's <laughs> about the latest? this case, and that's in Australia. And to be fair, it hasn't made the news at all here, which I wouldn't really expect it to, but um. Well, not much anyway. So yeah, but it's interesting. I just thought that this would be. I feel like I for us and big. our group and our community, it's massive. Like I feel like this is probably Nellie at Gabby Petito levels, which is unusual for a case to reach that. Generally, you know, we sometimes it's hard to pick which cases will get more coverage or you know different things like that. But it's just interesting how it's kind of evolved.
0: Yeah, I think it's definitely getting to mm. Gabby Petito levels. Yeah, you know, especially because there's no end in sight. <laughs> The other thing yeah. I,
1: I was thinking before we recorded, and I feel like every episode, we're like, this is definitely going to be solved by the time this episode comes out. But I really would be surprised, maybe if, if this I feel is like maybe solved. there'll be like more update, yeah, updates. I don't know. Anyway, we'll get into why it seems so messy and kind of unsolvable at this point. Yeah. Um, on Sunday, November 13 this year, 2022, at around 11.58 a.m., a call was made about a, quote, unconscious person being found in a home on King Road in Moscow, Idaho. When police arrived, they've said that they were met with what has been described as one of the worst crime scenes that they've ever come across. Four University of Idaho students were found stabbed to death in their home, which was off campus. The victims are Madison Mogan, who's 21, Zana Canodal, who's 20, and her boyfriend Ethan Chapin, who was also 20, and Kelly Gonzalez, who's 21. Some initial reports said that Ethan had been living at the house with the girls at the time, but it's since been clarified that he was just visiting and staying over, so he wasn't a permanent resident in that house. Mm-hmm. To kind of tell this story, we will start off with a timeline of what we know happened. And surprisingly for a case that seems to be everywhere on our community anyway, there's actually surprisingly little confirmed information.
0: Yeah. And it's all been very confusing. So and
1: Yeah. And lots of retractions and things like that. So the University of Idaho's fall semester began on August 22 this year. Ethan was from Conway in northwestern Washington state, while well, Zana from, was from Phoenix in Arizona. Maddie and Kaylee were both from Idaho near the city of Coeur d'Alene, which I hope I'm saying correctly. I've looked it up, I think that's right, <laughs> which is around 84 miles north of Moscow. So they'd rented a six bedroom house and they had two additional roommates, both females named Bethany and Dylan. So just some information about Moscow. From all reports, it's a really safe place. Everyone's like, things like this don't happen here. You know, it just seems like a small community. It's only 25,000 people. Um, And this is from livability.com. It says, it ranked Moscow as one of the best college towns in America and it's easy to see why. You'll feel the Vandal love. So I think the Vandal is their football team, the Vandals. Yeah. You'll feel the Vandal love all over Moscow. There are plenty of great spots for you to study eat or unwind that are open and welcoming to students and you'll find that many local business owners and residents are vandal alumni they love moscow so much they don't want to leave so on September 12th, this is before the murders, but it's kind of in the lead up in the, you know, weeks and months prior, the university issued a vandal alert. So this is, I guess, when they, something happens on the campus and they want everyone to know about it. Uh-huh. Um, the warning was described as a threat with knife. It reported that a group of students had been walking through the campus when a man threatened them with a knife. The statement said the Moscow Police Department received a report that a group of students was walking between the steam plant parking lot and the student recreation center on Paradise Path and were threatened by a person with a knife. So, the assailant was described as a white male aged 18 to 22 who was dressed in all black. And I guess they just wanted people to kind of be on the lookout for yeah. whatever. So, on Saturday, November 12th, we're now right near the time of the murders. Kaylee made this Instagram post. It's a photo of her with four other girls. I'm pretty sure it's on like the balcony or the deck of their home. And yeah. basically she just says that she's so lucky to be surrounded by these people every day. All of their social media is wide open, which is a little bit unusual these days. Um, so there's been lots of kind of discussion about the posts that they made and different things like that. So you, I've, we've linked all their Instagrams and all their social media in the blog. You can go and have a look at that.
0: And the girls in the picture, they it's all the roommates, like the two Yeah, Bethany, ones well. Dylan, yeah.
1: So a few hours later, Ethan and Zana went to a party on the university campus at the Sigma Chi frat house, while Maddie and Kaylee went to a bar in the town. I believe the other two roommates were also out that night. So the house was kind of empty. They were all basically in pairs, essentially at different events and different venues. So police held a press conference on November 20. And at that time, they said the two other roommates arrived back to the house at around 1 a.m. They said that Ethan and Zana got back home at around 1.45 a.m. So this is now November 13. It's still essentially the same day because they haven't been to bed and carried on, but it's now really November 13. The next
0: day technically.
1: So there's been a lot of discussion that Kaylee and Maddie were seen on Twitch at a food truck at 1.41 a.m. They waited for around 10 minutes for their food and before they can be seen walking away. They got a ride with a private party, according to police, and arrived home not long after. The police have said at this point that they were home by about 1.45. I think this is slightly off at this time because they were still at the food truck to 151. Like, you know, I'm assuming they were home by two, probably doesn't really make a massive amount
0: of difference. But that was just something I'd noted at the time. And just to clarify, if you haven't seen the video, because at first I was like, what do you mean a Twitch video? Because Twitch is usually like live streaming video games. So I was like, Twitch at the food truck, but seems like the people who work at the food truck set up like a camera outside to like show you know like drunk college kids being silly or something and then like one in the truck of them kind of like making the food and taking the orders and stuff so there was some other people in the video but you mostly just see them kind of like ordering their food then standing around waiting for it
1: yeah it doesn't like I know a lot of people have said that there's you know looked into the video and said that you know there might be some things that seem sus I don't really yeah, there, so. there was like, a guy
0: wearing a hood, so immediately people were like, a man in a hood? That's yeah.
1: That's it? <laughs> All right. So Kaylee's sister Olivia has come out and said that around this time, Kaylee and Maddie made phone calls to the same man. She told Inside Edition, Kaylee calls the man six times between 2.26 and 2.44 a.m., From 2.44 to 2.52, Maddie calls the man three times and then Kaylee makes the final call to him at 2.52. It's now come out that this man was Kaylee's kind of on-again, off-again boyfriend. Um, At this point it doesn't really matter who it was because he didn't answer. He was asleep. But I feel like that kind of gives a timeline of when they were definitely still alive. They were probably still alive at around 3 a.m.
0: Yeah, and there was um – I mean, we could get into it more later, but some people were like, oh, were they like calling him for help or something? But then the sister also said that Kaylee just like loves a drunk phone call and that they're probably just drunk and being annoying and calling him because I think she also texted him like saying to come over or something. Yeah. And I feel like she, they said
1: that she was known to drunk call random, yeah. people, like not random people, but whoever. So it's not surprising to the family that that's what she did. Yeah. So Kaylee's boyfriend is called Jack DeCurr. I think I've got his name right. He's 26. Her family have told Fox News that they were in the process of apparently getting back together after spending some time apart because they dated for years. You know, I don't know, again, just kind of a little side piece to the story, possibly not important at this point.
0: Yeah, like the family wasn't like they had a crazy toxic relationship where they broke up and got back together all the time. seems like no. he's in the family's good graces. And Her family like have
1: been very adamant that they don't believe he's involved as yeah. well. So I guess that's all we can go for the moment. Um, so police believed that the murders happened in the quote early morning hours. They haven't given a time frame. However, the Independent somehow has a time frame of three a.m. to four a.m. I feel like that's probably a fairly reasonable time frame because we know, as I said, that Kaylee and Maddie were still alive at around three a.m. and I'm assuming it happened before daybreak. For it to be in the early morning, I looked it up. Sunrise is around six forty-five or seven a.m. at that time of year. You know, I'm assuming it was probably between 3 and 5 a.m. at the latest. You know, that person probably wouldn't want to be leaving the house any later than that, you know, once people start waking up and moving around
0: and things like that. Yeah, because early risers start waking up around 5, like super early risers for a little more questionable.
1: Yeah. So anyway, that's my thinking. But the uh, the police haven't confirmed the time of death or, you know, made it public anyway. So as we said, a 911 call was made from within the house on Sunday, November 13th. So this is, you know, just hours after Kaylee and Maddie were known to be alive and that was at 11.58am. The call was for an unconscious person. So when police arrived, they discovered that the four victims had basically been brutally murdered. There was no signs of forced entry and as we mentioned, they said that the crime scene was one of the most gruesome that you, they have ever come across. The prosecuting attorney, Bill Thompson, said this scene was like nothing you've seen before or will see in the future. So what we do know is that the two additional roommates were still in the house when police arrived. Police kind of quickly-ish announced that the four had been murdered with an edged weapon, such as a knife. The later County Coroner, Kathy Mabbit, I think is how you say her name, said the victims were likely sleeping when they were killed as all four were found in bed. It's important to note that she has since retracted that and has said that they were all likely attacked in their beds or while they were sleeping, but not all of them were found in their beds. They haven't elaborated ever on where anyone was found. It's all kind of been speculation and deduction, but she did retract that initial statement saying they had all been found in their beds which is this is just an example of this case is such a mess just things being said and taken back I don't know if it's because they're inexperienced and um maybe have said things they shouldn't have said but anyway it's just you'll see this as a pattern as we go on with this story
0: yeah I'm sure they're just not used to like the media attention of what they can and can't say like usually it's probably not CNN's calling you up for comment
1: yeah I know it's crazy um all right so The coroner confirmed that each victim was stabbed multiple times and she described their wounds as pretty extensive and she reveals that they bled out. Um, She said it's pretty traumatic when there's four dead college students who've been stabbed to death in one location. She said, I've been coroner for 16 years and we've had multiple, multiple victim murders in the past but nothing like this. Police have since elaborated and said some of them had defensive wounds. I think that Zana's father has said that she was one with defensive wounds. Um, and I've also heard that possibly Ethan did. Um, Kaylee's father has come out and said that um, she didn't suffer and that she basically died very quickly. So I suspect she was attacked in her sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, all speculation, just wanted to include it because that's fairly common um, kind of speculation in terms yeah. of what happened. They did say, though, that none of them were sexually assaulted. So not long after the bodies were discovered, the University of Idaho put the campus into lockdown. They issued another vandal alert that said, Moscow Police Department is investigating a homicide on King Road near campus. Suspect is not known at this time. Stay away from the area and shelter in place. So the shelter in place was lifted around one hour later as police said the incident was a, quote, isolated targeted attack that posed no imminent threat to the community at large. This was a very quick discovery of apparently it being targeted and there being no threat. There was so much discussion about why police actually say this. I know, I I will never understand it. I feel like we've spoken about it multiple times before as well. Yep. I think there would have been a lot of panic and hysteria, you know, at the time, which I so I can kind of understand from that point why they said it, but they it was definitely not warranted for them to say that. I feel like they always just immediately say it for just for some reason. There's been just so much rumor and misinformation. The mayor of Moscow told the New York Times that he believed the killing was a crime of passion, but then he later said, we don't really know what it was. He ended yeah. up clarifying it could be a number of things. The police don't know yet. I haven't been told. So this is an example of people should not be talking when there's no information. Yeah. He also said that they have ascertained that there's no other threat to the community. I would say it was just a crime focused on this one location. So I... Also, did think at the time that maybe this was a murder suicide. Maybe they would find out that maybe Ethan had been the murderer and that, that he'd his, taken his own life. But police ruled that out pretty quickly. And they've said that all four were victims of homicide. On Wednesday, November 16, so just a few days after, so they were murdered on the Sunday morning. This is now Wednesday. They also backtracked on their info about there being no threat to the public. The police chief Fry said, We cannot say there's no threat to the community. And as we have stated, please stay vigilant, report any suspicious activity and be aware of your surroundings at all time so on that day the coroner also released more information about the autopsy findings she said that the autopsies confirmed that the victims were killed early in the morning sometime after 2 a.m but still during the night and that she hadn't been able to determine from the injuries the order in which they'd been attacked it's like well yeah they were still alive at 2 (laughs) a.m yeah well yeah like I guess we may not know that Ethan and Zana were still alive but I feel like it's that's true. I feel like the whole thing wouldn't have taken very long. Like no. I think it definitely had to be after 3 a.m. Yeah, same. Um, DNA samples and nail clippings were also taken from the crime scene with the coroner saying that it was possible that the test could turn up DNA from people besides the victims, which seems basic 101. <laughs>
4: mm-hmm.
1: Anyway, um, a local prosecutor at the time also revealed that investigators were exploring the possibility that there was more than one killer and that officers were also searching for a military-style knife, which they believe to be the murder weapon. We have some photos on the blog of what the murder weapon could possibly look like at the time of recording. So 1st of December, they still haven't found the murder weapon, just to kind of note. So essentially, I guess they could probably tell by the injuries, the type of knife, but they still haven't found it. Yeah. So Friday, November 17, police provided a bit more of an update. They said, at this time in the investigation, detectives do not believe the two surviving roommates or the male in the grub truck surveillance video are involved in this crime. So that was the man that we spoke about before. There are a few males in the footage you know, I guess you just deduce that they're speaking about the guy in the hoodie who kind of was loitering around. That's probably what they mention (laughs) him. Additionally, online reports of the victims being tied and gagged are not accurate. There was a social media post which I am 99% sure was fake, that apparently came from one of the surviving roommates, where it said that they went down and they saw them bound and hog tied and gagged and things like that. But the police have said that none of them were bound and none of them were tied up. Yeah. They also said at that time that they hadn't released the identity of the nine one one caller. And it just went on to say, basically, they've searched dumpsters in the area. They've also contacted local businesses to see if anyone had purchased a fixed blade knife. By that point, they had 500 tips and they had conducted 38 interviews. So that was in about five days after the murders. So on November 19, the FBI's critical incident response group was spotted at the crime scene. For anyone not familiar, this is apparently what that team deals with. It says, the critical incident response group is a division of the criminal cyber response and services branch of the FBI. CIRG enables the FBI to rapidly respond to and effectively manage special crisis incidents in the USA. So that was kind of interesting that that was the particular team that was spotted at the crime scene on November 20, police and officials held another press conference. Just as kind of a side note, they have provided a lot of updates, I would say almost daily. Um, But they're like nothing. (laughs) No. So at the start, they did give us a little bit of info, but for the last, I would say, week, there's been basically no info. It's just the same repeating. So we'll go into kind of the updates from the start of the case, but towards the end, we won't bother because essentially there's no real updates. So the November 20 update said that they had investigated 646 tips, and this is what they confirmed at the time. They said Kaylee and Maddie went to a bar or later at a food truck. They got home around 1.45 or 2 a.m. They said that Ethan and Zana arrived home at 1.45. The two roommates returned home at 1 a.m. and did not wake up till later in the morning. They said that two victims were found on the second floor and two were found on the th- third floor. Just as kind of, we've put the layout of the um, house on our blog if you want to have a look. But what we do know is that Ethan and Zana were sleeping on the second floor and Kaylee and Maddie were on the third floor.
0: And the so, second floor
1: is like the main floor. The first floor is like a basement. So we will get back into more of the house, but just I just wanted to slot that in there. Police haven't confirmed who was found where but I I think it's fair to assume that Ethan and Zana were found on their floor and Kaylee and Madu were probably on the third floor. Mm -hmm. They also addressed some speculation that was happening at the time. They said the surviving roommates, the white hoodie male from the food truck and the person who gave Madison and Kaylee a ride home were not suspects. They also said that there was no suspects in custody and the weapon hadn't been located and they asked the public to stop with the rumours. So these are some of the questions from that press conference. I feel like this is probably one of the only press conferences where they kind of answered some questions and maybe gave us a little bit of information. But the police were asked why they believed the killing was targeted and they said they weren't able to say, basically. So they asked if... Kaylee's boyfriend had been ruled out, Jack, who we mentioned earlier, and they said they believed he had no connection. They also said they ruled out the person who called 911 as a suspect. To this day, they still haven't said who that was, but they said they believe that person isn't a suspect. And they also said, which I think this is probably the main learning of this day, is that when the police arrived, there were actually more people at the house. They said that the roommates had called others who were there. And we'll get into maybe some speculation about that in the theories part, but that's kind of an interesting point. Um, And they also said that they were looking everywhere, including interstate, for more details about, you know, to try and find out who the suspect would be.
2: This case is not going cold. We have tips coming in. We have investigators out every day interviewing people. We're still reviewing evidence. We're still looking at um, all aspects of this. And I said early on that um, no stone will go unturned. And I mean that we are going to continue. Um, This case is not going cold.
3: Well, we know these families want some resolution. They want this person found and convicted. Correspondent Alexis McAdams reporting live from Moscow, Idaho. Um, tell, Tell us, Alexis, what you learned when you sat down with the chief. Hi, Martha. Well, first off, I mean, this was pretty much one of the first times we've been able to see the chief getting pretty emotional about this case. He went to this university he's lived in this community for years he has a family of his own and he was breaking down through tears telling me this case is personal for him working around the clock to find the killer listen
2: i'm a dad um with daughters and um that's tough you know you don't you know we're human we don't we don't go to these and uh, just turn it off um it affects us uh, but um, we have a job to do and we're going to continue to do that job. We're going to continue to push forward.
3: It's been nearly one month since these innocent college kids murdered here in Moscow, Idaho, in that off-campus house that still is surrounded by Crime Tape Martha. Investigators tell me they're interviewing people every single day looking for information that helps them piece this together and really trying to figure out the timeline of the night when these students were murdered. Now we're learning more about people and theories that investigators are ruling out for now. Police tell me they did interview two guys in connection to a tip that Kaylee Gonsalves had a stalker in town. This stemmed from an incident back in October when Kaylee told some of her friends that a guy was following her around a local business and it creeped her out enough that she told her friends. Police don't believe those people are connected to the murders. Now, another update involving Kaylee's dog, which you can see here in this TikTok video that she posted a while back. Investigators say her dog was in the house at the time of the murders but had no evidence on it, so they don't believe, Martha, was in any of the rooms When the crime was committed back out here live in front of the police department, once again, that chief breaking down, wanting the community and most importantly, Martha, wanting the families like Kaylee's dad to know they're doing everything they can to find the
1: killer. And they say just because they're not releasing so much information doesn't mean they don't have it. So the police did, after this press conference, also release a little bit more information about the 911 call. They said that the roommates called friends to come over as they believed one of the victims on the second floor wasn't responsive. So they called 911 and that is when police arrived
0: and found the four victims. Maybe we could do the 911 bit here if you want. Yeah. So there's... Ben, one of the biggest questions of this case that I've seen people messaging us on Instagram <laughs> is how did they think they were unconscious if it was this bloody, horrible scene? Like, why wouldn't they say they were dead or whatever? And what I, my best guess as to what happened, and this turned into like another big controversy about no one knows how to lock a door apparently, um, probably the girls weren't waking up because they were dead obviously and the other roommates were trying to get in contact with them the doors must have been locked there has to be some reason why the surviving roommates and friends couldn't get into the rooms where the murdered victims were Because yeah. obviously they wouldn't be like oh someone's unconscious if they're covered in blood so i feel like they're probably calling out to them calling their cell phones maybe they could hear their cell phones vibrating maybe someone had an alarm going off or something and they're like they're not responding but they're in there so i think either the doors kind of locked automatically or the killer locked the door because if you look at the pictures on zillow for the house listing they're just the little simple lock on the doorknob that you just twist and it's locked it's not like you had to go find the keys and lock the doors which some some people were messaging me after i said that like how would he be able to lock the door (laughs) like you'd have to go find their keys you think he'd have the time to do that i'm like wait has no one ever just locked a little inside house door before (laughs) it's losing my mind
1: Like I know there's some doors that you can't lock, like you have to shut the door and lock it with a key because the little bar thing kind of prevents you from closing the door. But I feel like, yeah, absolutely, these doors are not like that. They're just the locks that you either push or twist and shut the door behind you and it's locked.
0: Yeah, and I feel like it would make sense because it would delay the discovery of the bodies.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, yeah, the other other thing I do think there's maybe a slight chance is that Ethan – or I'm assuming it was Ethan, was kind of blocking the door so they couldn't open it. I don't know how the rooms were exactly set up. I feel like your your thing is more likely. Like I'm sure the doors are probably just locked, but it could explain why maybe they thought he was unresponsive. And but
0: um. Yeah, and I, I some people were like, why would they call friends first? I mean, I don't think it's weird. They're like young. Maybe they were already talking to other people. Another thing I thought of was maybe Jack, the boyfriend, woke up in the morning and was like, oh, I have all these missed calls from – Uh, Kaylee and Maddie and was trying to get back in touch with them and maybe he contacted one of the other roommates I was like hey like can you go check on them like they called me a bunch last night and now they're not answering
1: um, so maybe like other people just like
0: like, converged and came to check what was going on
1: There's also a theory that I've read online about the 911 call. There's someone who apparently has inside information online. Again, not confirmed, (laughs) could just be a rumor. But I do think it's a plausible theory and what they said is that they know apparently that one of the roommates called 911 because they saw blood and they saw whatever and they both ran screaming from the house and one of them or both of them fainted. I assume probably just one fainted, but a passerby Came past, saw them, took saw the phone them off unconscious, her, and that was what the unconscious person was about. I feel like unconscious person is just a terminology used by dispatchers and law enforcement if they don't know that someone is deceased. Like I, I feel like, you know, like people are like, why wouldn't they have said it was a murder? And I just feel like maybe they didn't know. It would have been chaotic trying to get information from whoever. Well, and I called. feel like
0: they said eventually that multiple people talk to 911, like they were passing the phone around kind of, I guess. Yes,
1: I, I, I definitely think it sounds like that. Um, so, I don't know. I would love for them to release a transcript they've asked if they
0: will release at least a transcript and they've said no. And another um, thing, because um, another thing people are saying, like, well, if the killer went and, like, stabbed whoever first and like walked to the other room and stabbed whoever, wouldn't there be blood in the apartment that they would see? I mean, maybe they did see some blood, but maybe that was more reason to think why someone was unconscious or hurt or something. Maybe they thought someone hit their head last night or something and got a little blood somewhere. And now they weren't answering. Cause usually we've said many times, like most people's first thought isn't, Oh my God, they're murdered.
1: Yeah. Especially four of them murdered. Like, yeah, yeah. That would be unfathomable really. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought it might be a good point here to maybe just discuss a little bit about the house layout on our um, highlights on our Instagram and on the blog. We've got a floor plan of the house so you can kind of exactly see it's a, it's a weird layout. Like
0: I find it very confusing. I I find it hard to. It's like they added on additions to this house. So it seems just like all over the place. There's a lot of like angular walls that don't really like connect great. (laughs) So apparently what I've heard is that the house
1: when it was originally built, how many years ago, was just the first floor. So this is the floor where Bethany and Dylan were living. The house apparently originally was just a small two-bedroom, one-level house, and these other two additional levels have been added on over the years. There is kind of a pretty um, infamous photo in relation to this case, and it's of the house that has blood actually dripping down the outside of the house. Um, people are like, where has that come from? And I am pretty sure that is from the second floor. When you look at the photo that's taken versus photos of the house, I'm pretty sure it's the second floor, which would have been Ethan and Zana's
0: bedroom. And again, the second floor is at like ground level because the house is on a hill. So it's yeah. not like it was dripping down like a whole floor. It was just mm-hmm. a couple feet. Yeah, it's kind of like a yeah,
1: a couple of feet. And then I've like people also like how did the other roommates not hear anything? I've also read that that first floor is kind of almost like a self-contained apartment, so it has separate entry you know, um, it's plausible, absolutely, that they didn't hear anything. Also,
0: they could have been drunk. They could. Have, I sleep with like a fan and a noise machine, like air conditioner. Like, I don't think I would hear anything. Yeah, exactly. And especially, yeah, drunk, like
1: passed out. I, I, I don't know if they're drunk. I'm assuming they probably had drinks. You know, just and especially just if, if they lived in.
0: People always said they had people over, like it was kind of a party house. I'm sure they're used to hearing other people being loud. Yeah. And especially
1: two, if only some of them had defensive wounds, let's just say two of them did, that still means two probably just died in their sleep and didn't make a noise or a sound. Yeah. Um, So there are, as I said, there's photos of the house on the blog. There are a bunch of entry points. Apparently they did have a ring doorbell for the front door obviously the person didn't use the front door but there's sliding doors of some of the bedrooms Um, and even there's a TikTok that's going around that I can't 100% verify is from the house I believe it was posted by a former roommate and basically it shows that there's a window that doesn't lock it's got no screen and it doesn't lock so you know I feel like it's not the most wouldn't have been the most secure house anyway and it would have been very easy to access without forcing entry yeah so on November 29, detectives relocated the five vehicles that were outside the house um, to a more apparently secure long-term storage location. I don't know why that took nearly two weeks. I feel like that should have been processed
0: straight away. <laughs> just I feel like-, like maybe they were seeing if they're – because it was kind of just like a gravel or like dirt driveway, wasn't it? Maybe they were yeah. looking for evidence in the driveway and didn't want to like move the cars too soon to mess anything up. It's my, uh, my only I'm thought. Assu- I'm assuming too
1: that because there was five – vehicles and four victims it must be one of the roommate's cars um Kaylee I know had just purchased a new Range Rover right before she was murdered so that was definitely one of the cars towed I'm pretty sure one was Ethan's as well anyway I guess it doesn't really matter whose vehicles they are but they've taken them away I did
0: for see someone online saying I don't know if it's true again but that they had to kind of wait for some of the Proper resources to come, like a day or so, to like photograph and process the whole crime scene. So they probably just didn't want to touch anything.
1: We're now basically at December one, which is almost two weeks since the murders. November thirty was a very confusing day in this case. There Mm -hmm. was a bunch of things said that they then retracted. Um, They said. This is they, re, they did this press release on November 30, and this is the updated information. And so there have been media questions about a September 12th incident regarding an argument between a group of people walk, walking on the bike path and a cyclist. So I'm pretty sure this is the one that we referred to as the vandal alert earlier where the person pulled the knife. Um, It says it was reported that during the confrontation, the cyclist displayed a folding knife. Both parties dispersed. There were no injuries. The cyclist turned himself into police and basically they've investigated and they don't believe there's any connection to this and these murders. Um, So one person who has been very vocal in the case is the later county prosecutor, Bill Thompson. He's been speaking a lot, which... I don't know if that's been the best thing but he did say also on this day that he believed that the killings were targeted and they issued a response to this they said we feel his responses were messaged to support the implication that new information had been released specifically generalized statements regarding the potential of targeted victims and the involvement of, of drugs were redefined into an affirmative answer I have no I idea give me that a means. headache I have
4: <laughs> that no just idea hurt my head
1: like there are some rumors that you know it may have been known as a drug house this obviously just rumors we don't know but i just there's no actual information about drugs at all being related to this definitely so i'm not i i still do not know what that means
0: that wasn't even like a prominent theory or rumor that i like heard often about drugs no
1: um, so they did hold a vigil on on November 30, and Kaylee's father spoke at the vigil. I feel like in this case, the families are the one who have released little tidbits of information, even more so than the police.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He did reveal that Kaylee and Maddie had died together in the same bed. He said, and in the end, they died together in the same room and this in the same bed. So it was very sad. Um, Kaylee and Maddie, you may have seen them referred to as sisters. We've had tons of messages asking if they were actually sisters not biologically. No, I believe that Maddie grew up with Kaylee and they spent a whole bunch of time together. They were very, very, very close. So that's kind of make, the sister reference.
0: It makes sense that they were in the same bed. Um, I saw a few people early on being like, oh, do you think they were? Because you know, they came home drunk together, then they were both making the drunk calls to Jack together. And then they probably just like went to sleep. <laughs> Also, I know that Kaylee was apparently moving out and she was moving
1: to Texas like very – she was due to leave very shortly after she was murdered. So I I wouldn't even be surprised if her room was all packed up and she was just sharing the room with Maddie because she had no bed anymore. Yeah, that's true. Just an option. Anyway, so there was more messy press releases about the kind of targeting information. There's a reporter called Morgan Romero – it says conflicting information has been released over the past 24 hours later county prosecutor's office stated the suspects specifically looked at this residence and that one or more of the occupants were targeted but then it says we have spoken with the prosecutor's office and identify that this was a miscommunication detectives do not know if the residents or any occupants were targeted <laughs> so this is what i mean like this is just it's just a mess and they they were like even their press releases are messy like there's they don't change the dates like it just I feel like it must just be chaos in there at the moment. Yeah, definitely. Um on December 1, they also released another statement so just today. It says uh the public information officer Aaron Snell said we remain consistent in our belief this was indeed a targeted attack but have not concluded if the target was the residents or its occupants. So that's kind of a little bit interesting like
0: why would someone just target a house? I feel um, like they're just saying like they don't know if anyone specific was targeted or if the group was targeted or like two of the girls were targeted or I feel like it's just a weird way of being like, well, we don't know if, one, if it was just one of them that was targeted or if someone like saw two of the girls out and followed them home type thing. But yeah, it's like a dumb way to say that. They just need to stop.
1: Just not, just have, they don't have any clear messaging, even like with the thing with the coroner saying they all died in their beds and then that wasn't true. And, you know, like they just need to not, release that information. If Just don't say it. Yeah. I'd rather them just like
0: not say anything than confuse me like this.
1: Anyway. So Kaylee's dad spoke to the media again today and he gave some more information. He said that he thought the unconscious person report may have come because Kaylee wasn't enter- answering her phone. He said, I know the girls reached out via texting and calling. So I can only assume by the phones being ignored, knowing how my daughter is I'm not going to ignore calls and texting. So that kind of goes along with what you were saying. Maybe it was the boyfriend who's like, well, what's going on? You rang me hundred times. Yeah. Why aren't you answering? Um he also told about the driver that Madison and Kaylee had used or police ever said, I think it was like it was a private, driver private service, private party, private party, but they've said that they used a sorority designated driver service to get home. So someone actually sent a message to our Instagram saying a lot of fraternities and sororities actually have designated drivers on call every night of the week. So if you need someone, you can call and they'll pick you up. So I assume this was probably along those lines. Yeah.
4: Good evening. I'm Brian Anton live in Moscow, Idaho. For this News Nation special report. Three weeks ago, the unthinkable happened in this house behind me. Four university students brutally murdered here. Their killer not only is still on the run, but still all of this remains a mystery three weeks later. And we have breaking news tonight new details that we have just confirmed. News Nation uh, is learning that Kaylee Gonzalez's injuries were significantly more brutal than her be- best friend Maddie's injuries, which may end up being a very, very important piece of evidence when it comes to determining who the target was in this attack. I have learned Kaylee and Maddie were in an upstairs room in the house, so the killer had to go specifically upstairs to get to them. And again, that new information just confirmed that Kaylee's injuries were, quote, significantly more Brutal.
1: Um, so, before Steph and I talk about kind of our theories as we're up to date in the case as of today, I just wanted to touch on a few other um, things that have happened in Moscow that police have said aren't related. Just randomly, three weeks before the murders, there was a dog in the neighbourhood that was found skinned and brutally killed. Um, police have said apparently that this incident isn't related to the murders. I really don't know how they can, they can rule this out if they don't have a suspect yet, but apparently it's not related. Yeah.
0: Unless they know who did it. But even if they 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 know who
1: skinned the dog, how do they know that person isn't the murderer? Like, I don't know. I don't know.
0: Yeah. It's pretty unhinged behavior. So.
1: Um this is just kind of a snippet about it. It said local locals feared that the two grotesque incidents were connected but police said the skin dog was unrelated. Police also discounted a report about deceased animals being left on a local resident's property as connected to the case and they said those in that incident was likely caused by wildlife. Other speculation online I've seen and a lot of media articles, too, actually, about it is that Kaylee may have had a stalker. Police have said that they can't corroborate the information. I'm pretty sure Kaylee's dad has also said that she did have a stalker. I haven't seen the, this parent stalker named anywhere. Um, I know that there's been some questions online about Kaylee buying this Range Rover and where she got the money for it. So people are kind of speculating about things that may have been down that way. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, just wanted to touch on it. It's something that's been said. Um, on November 21, so after the murders, there was a kind of a report of these women that had apparently been chased by a man. It said two young women left a residence on Blaine Street around 5.15 p.m. this evening and went towards the car where they spotted a man in the front seat. So this man was sitting in their car. They said that the man proceeded to exit and chase them. They described him as an overweight white male, overweight white male in a yellow shirt with dirty blonde to brown hair and a scruffy beard. But police looked into this and apparently said that it was unfounded, there was no evidence to support that this would happen and that there had been no crime. And so the other thing just to quickly mention is that there were some, you know, rumours and speculation that these murders may have been related to two other murders in Washington and Oregon that are unsolved. But Moscow police issued a statement and said that it's not linked. They said, while these cases share similarities, there does not appear to be any evidence to support that the cases are related. So that is kind of a general overview of the Moscow case. There's a lot of other things going on um, with family members and different things like that that we won't put in here because essentially I don't think they really have any um, bearing on the case but there is so much information out there. There's, you know, tons of discussion um, if you really, really want to go and do a deep dive into the victims' lives and different things like that. Okay, so my current theory at the time, I believe that Kaylee was likely the main target. Um, I don't really have a basis for that. Just, 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 I think that they're one of them was definitely the main target. I know some people have said that they believe Ethan may have got into a fight or something happened at the frat house and it may be related to that. But my personal theory is that Kaylee was the target. I believe that Maddie was killed just because she was with Kaylee. I feel like it was just you know, a bad circumstance that she was there. And Especially I also, they're in the same bed. Yeah. And I, I actually, because I was speaking to someone yesterday about this and this is before they released the information about them being in the same bed and I actually said to them, I wonder if they were in the same room in the same bed. And I, I really think at this stage that that may be why Maddie was killed. And then I, I've also read a lot of rumours online that Ethan was found in the hallway. Um, sometimes when things are repeated and repeated it's because they're true. So if that is true, maybe he heard a noise or he went out to get water or whatever and he was murdered because he, again, he was just there and then the person murdered Zana too because she either woke up or because he couldn't you know couldn't leave. But without. then
0: I feel like if he wasn't in a lock like in a closed room, the roommates would have seen him somehow unless they couldn't get upstairs at all. But maybe they did see,
1: maybe that's what, you know, I said about when they ran out of the house screaming and that was the unconscious person thing was actually not one of the victims, it was about one of the roommates. Yeah. I don't know. Again, I don't know. But so that's my general theory. I think Kaylee was likely the main target and the others were murdered just because they were there at the time.
0: Yeah. I'm still sticking with, we didn't talk about, we were asked to share theories on um, the Banfield show on news nation which maybe i could put a clip in of it but either way we're both saying like the same thing but my theory for that is still the same i feel like it was like an incel type thing like either someone who had like a unrequited crush on one of the girls um they're all pretty obviously i feel like anyone any random guy would want to approach them at the bar and was either maybe turned down or maybe even like It's just someone from they all had open social media, like just maybe some guy who found them on social media and was talking to them, was mad they were turned down and decided to show up and stab them. And I feel like the rest of them were kind of just collateral damage. I don't really know who I feel like the target was either Kaylee or Madison for that. Obviously, they were the two single girls that were out together and the rest were just in the wrong place at the wrong time.
1: I don't really have a theory as to actually who did it, though. I don't think it was Kaylee's boyfriend. No. Um, I also don't think it was probably the two surviving roommates. There was an interview with Kaylee's sister yesterday. And one of the last questions that they were asked was I'm just paraphrasing here, but it was like, basically, do you believe that the police have really cleared the roommates? And she was a little bit evasive in her answer. She said something, I'll see if we can find a clue but if not, basically, she said something like, well, I, I hope that the police have done the right thing she didn't say Yeah, I absolutely believe that they weren't involved she just kind of deflected a little bit and didn't really answer the question so maybe that's something that they're still considering I don't know but I just I feel like it was probably a male murderer
0: yeah um and whoever did it just seemed very angry and fast he didn't sexually assault any of them it seemed like it was in and out type thing And I feel like just from apparently
1: how gruesome and bloody and the worst crime scene ever, I feel like that just implies rage and it being personal as well. Like, Mm -hmm. you you know, if you would think that if you were just a random, for example, serial killer, you would go and probably try and not make as much mess and, I don't know, just leave as little evidence behind as you could, but it doesn't sound like that was the case. Yeah. (sighs) So I think that is it for Moscow. I don't know what's going to happen in the next – you know while maybe they will get something it doesn't seem like at the moment they have specifically said they don't have a suspect Um, whether or not that's a tactic maybe to try and get someone to slip up we can only hope I guess but publicly they've said they don't
0: have a suspect yeah okay so next we're gonna get into the latest updates with the Delphi case and it seems like they just like keep coming so (laughs) at first we were like oh we're what if we don't have enough to talk about? But now there's <laughs> apparently um, a new press release from Ro- Richard, not Robert, Richard's attorney. So we haven't even looked at it yet, but we'll get there when we get there. Okay. So they finally released the probable cause affidavit, which was sealed. Um, we've all talked about that. So I'm just going to, I highlighted some parts in it that are worth reading. So we can just like go over it quickly because it does give um, some information that we didn't know about what happened that day and why he was arrested.
2: The probable cause affidavit says Abby and Libby were found dead in the woods less than a quarter mile from the Monon High Bridge, and there was a 40 caliber unspent round found between the victim's bodies, less than two feet away from Libby German. Investigators first spoke to Richard Allen back in 2017, and at that time, Allen told investigators he was on the trails by the Monon high bridge between 1:30 and 3:30 on the day of the murders the pc did not say why investigators spoke to him back in 2017 then last month on october 13th investigators interviewed allen again according to the pc allen again said he was on the monon high bridge to watch the fish He said he parked his car on the side of an old building and was wearing blue jeans and a blue or black Carthart jacket with a hood. Investigators say that matches the clothes worn by the man who Libby captured in this video on the day of the murder. Last month, Allen also told investigators he owns firearms. That same day, police executed a search warrant at his Delphi home and recovered jackets, boots, knives, and firearms, including a Sig Sauer Model P-226 40 caliber pistol. He told investigators he never allowed anyone to use or borrow that firearm. Investigators sent that gun to the Indiana State Police Crime Lab for analysis and it was determined the unspent round located within two feet of Libby's body had been cycled through Richard M. Allen's gun.
0: First, it goes in the details like about the area, the bridge, and all that, and it refers to Libby and Abby as victim one and two. And there are names mentioned that are redacted, so it gets a little confusing there, but we'll, we'll try to make the best of it. So it says... Victim one and two were dropped off across from Mears Farm at one forty nine p.m. on February thirteenth, twenty seventeen. In um, Mears Farm, it's just like right by the bridge. I guess that's like the drop off point for there. Um, and it says a video from victim t- victim two's phone shows that at two thirteen p.m. victim one and two encountered a male subject on the southeast portion of the bridge. The male ordered the girls down the hill. No witnesses saw them after this time. No outgoing communications were found on victim two's phone after this time. Then it says the video recovered from victim two's phone shows victim one walking southeast on the high bridge while a male subject wearing a dark jacket and jeans walked behind her. As the male subject approached victim one and two, one of them mentions gun. Near the end of the video, a male is heard in seen telling the girls guys down the hill. The girls then begin to proceed down the hill and the video ends. So that give a little bit more information about him having a gun and that's kind of how he corralled them to go down the hill. Um and I think we always kind of gun.
1: speculated that
0: there must have been something to get them yeah. to go with him. Yeah. Um, It says victim one and two's deaths were ruled as homicides. Clothes were found in Deer Creek belonging to victim one and two, south of where their bodies were located. There was also a .40 caliber unspent round less than two feet away from victim two's body. The round was unspent, but it had extraction marks on it. So it says they went on to interview three juveniles who were on the bridge that day. Um, Just took out some of the highlights of what they said because it's kind of redundant, some of it. So they talked to two of the girls. I don't know if they're girls, two juveniles that were together. And they said they were walking on the trail towards the bridge to go home. And they encountered a male walking from Frida Bridge towards the high bridge. They described the male as kind of creepy and advised he was wearing like blue jeans, a like really light blue jacket. And his hair was gray, maybe a little brown, but he did not really show his face. Um, they said they they actually said hi to him and he just ignored them. They talked to another person who was on the, another juvenile who was on that bridge that day that was taking photographs. Um, one of the pictures was stamped at twelve forty three and the other one was at one twenty six so right around the time this would have happened and She said that she encountered the man who matched the description of the photograph taken from victim two's video. She described the man um, wearing a blue jacket or blue or black jacket. She advised that the jacket had a collar and he had his hood up from clothing and that was underneath the jacket she advised he was wearing baggy jeans and that he was taller than her she also said that he looked like he was walking with a purpose like he knew where he was going then they spoke with another person who was on the trails that day and that person advised that she saw four juvenile females walking on the bridge over old state road as she was driving underneath it on her way to the park Um, they advised that there were no other cars parked across from mir's farm when she parked She arrived, and she walked to the high bridge and observed a male matching the one from victim two's video. She described the male that she saw as white, wearing blue jeans, blue jacket. She advised he was standing on the first platform of the high bridge 50 feet from her. Um, She also said approximately halfway between the bridge and the parking area, she passed two girls walking towards the high bridge, and she believes that those girls were victim one and victim two. And then video from a store near there shows um, this person's, who they were talking to, car, leaving at one forty nine. So when she was leaving, it seemed like Libby and Abby may have been getting to the bridge. Um, and she also said that they didn't see any other adult males on the bridge that day. This person also said when they were leaving, they noticed that um, a vehicle was parked in an odd manner at the Child Protective Services building that is right there. She said it wasn't odd for vehicles to park there, but she noticed it was odd because of the manner it was parked. It was backed in near the building. And Investigators also got another tip from another person talking about how they saw um, a purple PT Cruiser or small type SUV around 210 that day parked at the CPS building. And He also said that it appears as though it was backed in to conceal a license plate and it was like parked in a weird position. Um, they said it could have been like a smart car type vehicle. Oh, So then someone else who was driving, they called in and they said that they saw A male subject walking west on the north side of 300 North away from the high bridge and that they thought that they said that the male was wearing a blue jacket, blue jeans, but that he was muddy and covered in blood and that he looked like he'd just gotten into a fight. And they determined that by videos of when the person who saw them was in the area, it would have been around 3.57 p.m. It also says investigators determined that there were other people on the trail that day after 2.13 p.m., which is when the girls were approached. And those people were interviewed and none of the individuals encountered that male or Libby and Abby because he had taken them into the woods, it's believed. So this is where it gets controversial, I guess. So in 2017, Richard Allen, the man who was arrested... It doesn't say, like it starts off saying, investigators reviewing prior tips encountered a tip narrative from an officer who interviewed Richard Allen. So I don't know if he just happened to interview him or Richard came forward. So it says, Mr. Allen was on the trail between 1330 and 1530, so 130 and 330. Um, He parked at the old Farm Bureau building and walked to the new Freedom Bridge. While at the Freedom Bridge, he saw three females and noted one was taller. And he did not remember... Description and he didn't speak with them. He walked from the Freedom Bridge to the High Bridge. He did not see anybody, although he stated he was watching a stock ticker on his phone as he walked. He stated there were vehicles parked at the High Bridge Trailhead, however, and didn't pay attention to them. He did not take any photos or videos. And then it says something about his phone didn't list an IMEI. And then it says some technical stuff about phones and says potential follow up information who were the three girls walking on the bridge? basically, then it kind of just goes on to say that they finally decided to go talk to Richard Allen. Um, they discovered that he had a car similar to the one that was described as being at the CPS building. He would have been there in the proper time frame and all that. So on October 13th, 2022, that is when he was interviewed again. He again told them that he was on the trails that day. He stayed. He saw three juvenile girls. And he said that he went on the high bridge to watch the fish. And later in a statement, he said he walked out to the first platform and he then walked back, sat on a bench and left. He said that he parked his car on the side of an old building. He told investigators that he was wearing blue jeans in a blue or black jacket, Carhartt jacket with a hood. And he advised that he may have been wearing some type of head covering as well. Um, He said that he saw no one else except the juvenile girls. And he told investigators that he owns firearms that are at his home. So he literally said he was wearing the bridge guy outfit at this point. <laughs> um, so from there, investigators went and spoke to his wife, Kathy. She confirmed that they did have guns and knives at the residence and that Richard still owns a blue Carhartt jacket. So on October 13th, they execute a search warrant. They searched the house. They found jackets, boots, knives, firearms, including a Sig Sauer model P226 .40 caliber pistol. So from there... They ended up testing the extracted bullet that they found at the crime scene, the unspent bullet that they found between the girls' bodies. They did tests with Richard's gun, and they confirmed that that bullet had run through richard's weapon and they do that by because even though it wasn't fired it still went through the gun and that leaves like little striations and marks on the outside of the bullet so they're able to run another bullet through it and then compare the marks on each bullet to see how similar they are if they're exactly the same it's kind of like a fingerprint for the gun so that's how they're able to tell that that bullet went through his gun they did that. They confronted him with this information again. And he basically said he had no idea why that bullet that had been in his gun would be between the girls' bodies. He said, he also said he never let anyone borrow the gun, had never been on the property before. So basically, he just had no answers for them. And that's really it. Then it kind of goes into like conclusions of all that, of like, you know, everyone only saw one man on the bridge wearing this outfit at this time. It was seen on camera. His car was seen on camera. And all of that points to Richard Allen, who admitted to being on the bridge at that time in that outfit. And also his bullet from the gun was found at the crime scene. That was basically it from the press release. There is a is seven pages. There's an eighth page that's basically all redacted. So we don't know what that says. So that came out and immediately everyone is like, okay, well, if you talk to this guy in 2017 and he literally said he was at the bridge that day on camera, like in that outfit, why, why did we not follow up what's going on here? Today, one of the Fox 59 reporters came out and said that through their sources, they learned that he was kind of um, forgotten about after the 2017 interview due to a clerical error made by a civilian FBI employee. So everyone was like, wow. That's crazy, because basically this probably could have been solved much sooner if it wasn't for that little error, because it's come out that since the case is kind of stalled, they went back to the beginning and were like literally going through everything again. And that's how they found this little tidbit about Richard Allen now. But then, of course, right when we start recording the podcast, they made the FBI people, whoever, made another statement being like, oh, saying that a mistake was made is misleading. So I feel like a mistake still was made, but they're going to come up with like some explanation for it.
1: I just don't know why everything is so messy at the moment. Like The Moscow
0: case is so messy. This is messy. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, I don't know. Sorry, I went through that like a mile a minute, but I just wanted to try to get it all in.
1: (laughs) No, but even I mean like just the investigation like is more so messy.
0: Like
1: yes, it was was an error. No, it's not an error. I,
0: I don't know. Yeah, and like we talked to him in twenty seventeen and then we and it was the same with Keegan Klein, who who knows if he's even connected or not anymore, but he he got in trouble for child porn in twenty seventeen but wasn't arrested till like twenty twenty (sighs) one. So then, as if that wasn't enough, literally while we were recording, Richard Allen's attorney put out like a three page Uh, press Q&A with with bullets well not even a
1: question but he said like basically they've had heaps of questions and requests for interviews so this is the answers that they're going to give yeah and I feel like it's giving Brian Laundrie attorney vibes but (laughs) I feel like too you can tell by this press release what they're going to be their case is going to be yeah yeah setting up the case We'll put the whole document, it's on our Insta, we'll put it on our Instagram and on the blog if you want to read it. It's three entire pages. We won't go through the whole thing because that will take forever. But basically, they start off with saying Rick is a 50-year-old man who's never been arrested or accused of any crime and then they go into the fact that he actually contacted police apparently to tell them that he was on the trail. Um, This is kind of a little bit interesting so I'll read out this point because it goes into detail about his encounter with the officer It says, Rick volunteered to meet up with a conservation officer outside of the local grocery store to offer up details of his trip to the trail. He tried to assist with the investigation and told the police he did recall seeing three younger girls on the trail that day but the contact was brief and of little significance. He said. Then after that, he apparently he didn't hear back from them, so he just kept living his life, went back to working at CVS, and he didn't back hear, to the local bar. <laughs> he didn't hear from police again until October 2022, and according to them, this was approximately two weeks before a contested sheriff's election, and within days of a federal lawsuit filed against the Carroll County Sheriff's Office by its former second in command, Michael Thomas. So I feel like that this is where they're going to go with this case.
0: They're going to feed um, into conspiracy.
1: Yeah. In this lawsuit, Thomas, Michael Thomas claims that he had made suggestions and offered assistance in the investigation of a high-profile child homicide investigation, but those suggestions and offers were rejected by the sheriff.
0: This has really taken a turn.
1: Yeah. He claims that because of this, he was demoted and replaced by Tony Liggett, who won the 2022 election for sheriff. And Thomas also claims that because of this, he was removed from high-profile cases. The rest of it goes into basically that Rick didn't change his vehicle or his guns or anything in the five years since the murder. They didn't throw out the clothes. He apparently still has all those clothes. Um, it does talk about the gun. It says, it's a bit premature to engage in any detailed discussion regarding the veracity of this evidence until more discovery is received, but it is safe to say that the discipline of toolmark identification ballistics is anything but a science. The discipline has been under attack in courtrooms across the country as being unreliable. And then the last page, it says that the prosecutor mentioned at the last hearing his belief that others may have been involved in the killing but there was nothing in the probable cause about a second suspect and that they are confused about these kind of discrepancies with what's being said. And one other kind of interesting point is that they said Rick owned a Ford Focus in February of 2017. <clears throat> his Ford Focus is not in any way similar to the distinctive look of a PT Cruiser or smart car that was described by the witnesses. So... That's kind of it. The rest of it's a bit fluffy, just you know, protesting his in- yeah innocence and that kind of stuff. But that's kind of the main interesting points
0: from that press release by the attorneys. I mean, honestly, a 2017 Ford Focus does kind of look like a smart car. Yeah, whatever situation. I'd like, like to know what color hatchback. it was. I wonder what color it was. Um, I think they s- did. They say. Oh, uh, Richard Allen, he had a 2016 black Ford Focus. Okay, so not purple. <laughs> but I guess
1: maybe like depending on the shade of purple, maybe like you know those dark kind of purples, maybe I don't know. Anyway.
0: Yeah, or like the way the sun was hitting it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, a lot going on. It seems like it's really taken a turn, but I'm also like now that they have him If they really does still have that jacket and clothes and anything, I bet that they can still definitely find more evidence at this point against him. And if he if they could find that car, I don't think he has it anymore. But if they could somehow find where that car went, if he got in there all bloody and I feel like stuff like that sticks around. The next thing is that the judge set a hearing for January 13th at 10 a.m. for motion on the gag order and the change of venue that Richard Allen it's attorneys requested. Of course, they want to not have the hearing in Carroll County. I mean, the trial or anything in Carroll County because of how high profile this is. But I don't know. I feel like it's kind of high profile wherever they go. What do you think about all that? Seems chaotic. It does.
1: I, when they released, I like, I'd love to know what's redacted. Maybe there is more information in that that would make it a bit more of an airtight case. But it does seem to me, I, I thought they would have more. Um, I don't know. I I don't know. I I really am not confident in this case. I really feel like he will probably get off.
0: I feel like it's him. I feel like they got that. I do feel like maybe there was a filing error because what else would... Everyone saw one man at the bridge, one guy, and he basically admitted to being that guy. And then his car and everything was on camera, but still took all these years to figure it out. I do think maybe now that they have him and can do kind of more investigating hopefully they'll be able to find more evidence against him I'm assuming there's more stuff like there was a whole page redacted I wonder if
1: that was about the actual crimes like there might be more information that's I hope I hope there is and that's why it just feels incomplete to us but I'm not sure
0: yeah because I mean because a lot of people are being like, oh, so the gun was like the murder weapon, blah, blah, blah. And not necessarily because it says they only found – if they had fired bullets, they would have tested those instead because it's definitely – you know, there's going to be more markings on a gun that was – I mean, on a bullet that was fired. So it seems like there wasn't any fired bullets. and It seems like there was only the unspent one. So it seems like that might not have been what he used to kill them. And they also did specifically mention um, asking if he had any knives or taking knives from the home.
1: Yeah, I also suspect they probably weren't shot. I think he used that to get them to go with him and then killed them however he killed them.
0: Yeah, so if they saw him covered in blood, maybe he still has – he's kept the coat apparently, maybe if that's still the same coat. I feel like maybe they could do some trace evidence or even some electronic stuff to see – track his phone, see if it was there or what he was looking up, and just hopefully there'll be other things that they'll be able to use to really connect him. I feel
1: like I personally think there has to be someone else involved. I think it could still be Keegan in terms of catfishing the girls and getting, he knew they were going to be there. How did he know that? Like I, I really feel that they lured the girls to that area and maybe Keegan knew what he was going to do and just was a creep and went along with it. I don't know.
0: But um, I would, I I would be that. surprised if there's no one else involved in some way. I was because Jennifer Coffindaffer, she's the FBI, former FBI commentator. She tweets a lot. Um, she was saying that she feels like someone else was like down the hill, like waiting. Because yeah. it's like, why, why did he lead them to this spot? Because I remember even Ron Logan and all of them at the time were saying like, that area it's like rough terrain like it's very rocky the hills are really steep and Ron Logan whose property it was was like you would have to like know this area at least be able to get over here so why was he leading them to that spot did he just pick a random spot did he know where he was going was someone else over there waiting
1: I think this had to be somewhat set up and he had a plan of where to take them even if it was just a general area um, but I feel like he definitely would have scouted all that
0: out before and looking at the times was another thing it seems like he got there around one thirty. then the girls got there around 2 13 or he was on the video talking to the girls 2 13 i think they got there around two-ish or something it said off the top of my head but so but there was other juveniles at the bridge i mean they didn't really say if they were girls but other people said they saw other juvenile girls at the bridge so like why not them like some of them even said hi to him if it was random could you just picked them Or was he specifically waiting for Libby and Abby for some reason? Yeah. So a lot of questions still. Um, This attorney, who in his statement, make it seem like this will be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just –
1: I don't really have any words. Like, I feel exhausted.
0: (laughs) I was just going to say the same thing. With all these cases – I feel like <sighs> mentally exhausted. Like so much has been going on this last yeah. month. I don't and Even, it's been even I was just saying
1: to you to do that like today, like Chris Dawson is getting sentenced today. That's the teacher's pet episode that we did. And then there's a whole bunch of stuff going on with the Michael Vaughan case, which we'll do an update in a few weeks. Um, and maybe a
0: Michael Chambers update.
1: Oh, <laughs> I just feel like – and then even maybe a Bryce Speezer case. Like they found bones in the area. Where, I don't know. It might not be him, but bones where we weren't missing. So there's just a lot happening. And I just feel like this case is ramping
0: up to be messy and long and drawn out yeah so i mean hopefully that wasn't too chaotic of an explanation i know it was a lot of information fast and like half this information we got today so hopefully we went through it okay but um you know our instagram we have a whole highlight for the delphi updates everything's on it we've posted the affidavit we'll post this new press release from richard's attorney so if you want to actually sit down and read it We'll post them up on our blog, on Instagram, whatever. Um, same with like the layout for the Idaho house. If you want to see it, we'll have that all posted. We're actually on the second Moscow
1: highlights because we filled up the first one, <laughs> which is crazy because there's actually, like as I said, not really that much information, but there's just so much back and forth and reporting on this little tidbits of information. So anyway, there's two whole highlights, you know, we're up to the second highlight, two whole highlights on Instagram for Moscow too.
0: Yeah so we were worried this would be a short episode <laughs> but it was not <laughs> well i guess it's oh. around an hour 40 so it's oh, pretty long not,
1: not plus maybe clips
0: too i guess clips for both of them oh i feel like i could literally go cross-eyed right now going through all of that <laughs> okay oh. well on that note let Let's be done with this. And for anyone who's like, oh, they hate doing the podcast. We love doing the podcast. There's just tons of information. It's like my head is spiraling. Someone said to me the other day, do you like participate in Facebook
1: groups about these cases? And I'm like, I used to, but honestly, my brain is about at capacity.
0: Yeah, for sure. I do not have
1: the capacity anymore. Yeah. I used
0: to be like the Facebook group's queen. I don't even do it anymore because the the Instagram is enough of a job for me to handle. yeah. yeah. All right. So enough whining. Um, love you guys. This is the podcast. It's just a very big episode today. <laughs> yeah. And constantly changing. Yeah. So we hope that um, you guys enjoyed it. That it was interesting. Everything will be on the blog, Instagram, like I just said. Um, share the podcast. It's a big help to us. We saw like on the Spotify unwrapped, a lot of people are sharing the podcast. So that is awesome. Please keep doing that. We want to keep growing forever so give us a good review um any of the sponsors check those out they're all linked in the episode notes and um i think that's it be nice to us leave us nice comments (gasps) nice messages that's it peace out thank you for listening bye